0: Welcome to Coffee and Change, I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. My next guest, Deli Downs Cooley, spent 20 years traveling the world as a military spouse, raising children and going where the military sent her. Each and every time she was required to reinvent herself and her career. We'll fast forward to 2021 and Deli Downs Cooley and myself are on the same panel for the Women in Tech Regatta Conference. We hit it off then, we stayed in touch, and as the universe always works, we ended up working together at the same company. So here's Deli Downs Cooley with her incredible story.
1: most about meeting you was well a couple things the military connection it runs strong and deep so anytime, time you know you walk into a room and you look for who are the people that I can identify with to feel like I belong so in a virtual setting you don't walk into a room and assess and figure out who to, who are my people yeah. you in a virtual setting you quickly start figuring out who are the people that I have areas of intersectionality or commonality in. And so finding out that you had a military background was like, I'm finding my people. But what I remember most about the first time I met you was um, your description of the word resilience, the Latin root of the word resilience, because it actually reminds me of my story. Mm -hmm. I always used to say, I am a good cha-cha a couple steps forward, a step back, and it's like, you're dancing. Yeah. That is, that is for me, resilience is the ability to continue moving, and sometimes it's backwards in order to move forward. Yeah. And so that's what I really remembered about you And the first time that we met each other was that my parents also used to play the dictionary game when I was growing up, so me I'm too. really good at Latin derivatives. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, that was it. Like That's what I remember about our first meeting yeah. was what are these moments that we share in common?
0: And I remember thinking, to your point, around the, uh, the challenge that we always face in virtual is it's like, how do we find our people? And you and I are probably very similar in the sense that we can read a room really quickly. And at the same time, we quickly assess not only kind of who are our allies that might understand us, but we also quickly understand or assess uh, where the exits.
1: <laughs> yes, my operational security kicks in pretty high yeah. when I walk into a space. I'm yeah. like, how do I get out of here? Yeah. Is my back to the wall? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the that is the operational security that's ingrained in you um, over. It was never as strong in the U.S. as it was when I moved overseas. For sure because that was a very different experience. Not everybody was happy with why you were there. So it was really important to be aware of your surroundings. And um, my daughter who just got married, she's now 24, we used to tell her, one, your mother is Jamaican. If someone asks you, your mother is Jamaican. You don't need to tell them that you're an American because that will protect you from being at risk. So you're not telling a lie, Mm -hmm. you're just focusing on the one dimension that keeps you safer by being here. And so that was, we would tell her, you know, don't talk about what your parents do, which you raise a kid and then you bring them back to the U.S. after 10 years of living outside of the U.S. And she had a panic attack the first time we walked into Office Depot. I, I, I completely relate. And everything was overwhelming when I moved back here because... Living in Europe was a very different speed. It was a different perspective, culturally, relationally, all of those things. Yeah. And so then you come back to the US after living outside for so long, and you're reacclimating not only to European culture, but also military culture overseas because your life is centered around the base. So Your core and common sense of community and belonging, all of that rotates and orbits around the military base, and that's your safe space. And then you come to the U.S., extricate yourself from the military setting, and that was the hardest part of the transition for me. Because not only did I choose to move to a place where I only knew one person, and I had been here one time my daughter and i came out the year before for a wedding Mm -hmm. and while we were at the wedding for this friend of ours that was stationed in the military we lived two doors down from them in mountain home idaho of all places and when she we moved to germany she moved to texas she got remarried we came to washington for her wedding and Then a year later, we find ourselves living in the state of Washington, and this is the only person that we know, Mm -hmm. is this one woman, her two children, her mother, and her now new husband, who has accepted all of us into his life. He doesn't know us, he's met us one time. And this man is like, yes, please come live at my house while you figure out your life. Mm -hmm. But that's friendship, that's the kind of friendship that the military creates that is so uniquely special. So when I met you, mm-hmm. I was like, yes, because we in the military understand loss, catastrophic loss. We recognize that tomorrow is not promised mm-hmm. because we live in a world that requires us to have operational security so that our lives are saved. Like that's the reality of it yeah. at the end of the day. So. Um, yeah, that's the kind of friendship that you create. And so here I am, I move from Germany to Washington and know one person. Mm-hmm. And
0: I think what's so interesting, you talk about the culture shock. You know, I think people who've, who've grown up in military homes or been military themselves, they know that it's a very visceral experience. You also talked about the overwhelm, like you and your daughter coming back, you step into an office depot heck, you step into a grocery store and it's just completely overwhelming. I remember that culture shock. I actually call it reverse culture shock mm-hmm. because... Reintegrating. Yeah, we're totally reintegrating back into the the country of our citizenship, mm-hmm. but not a place where we have a lot of memories and a lot of culture woven into. So, you know, you you and your family spent, what, 10, 10 years overseas? Almost 10 years. Yeah. I probably spent about the same, if, if not a little bit more, in Eastern Europe, in the Middle East, and also in Europe. And I remember coming back to college, for college, I should say, and it was so interesting. I'm curious if, if your children had the same experience. I was so looking forward to coming back to the States. It's all I wanted, yes. it's all I wanted, right? Yes. I dreamed about it. And then when I got here, I didn't fit in or relate to anyone, not a single right. person.
1: Well, and I've experienced that multiple times because I'm Jamaican by birth. So I was born in Jamaica, moved to Kansas, and I was so young at the time that it wasn't as strong of a reintegration. I do remember, why do people, why, why aren't we cooking outside? Because every day nice. we cooked outside. Um, so there were these cultural shifts, and then as a teenager spending the summer in Jamaica, and then coming back to the US to start middle school. Mm-hmm. You wanna talk about culture shock. Yeah. I did not fit in with anyone mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And just having that desire to connect and, and find your sense of belonging. Yeah. Um, because as humans, that's how we're hardwired is to create connection and have a sense of belonging. And so frequently when we have such significant perspective shifts in our life, we find ourselves coming back and we have this magical thinking because we also tend to spend a lot of time in the past. So this magical sense of thinking, which is very much how wonderful it was, and then you come back to the place that you believed was so magical and special and you realize this is not what I remember it to be because that's what the mind does is it draws pictures in your mind yeah. according to the thoughts that you have about any given situation, good or bad. And I think to the, to the military family, to
0: the military, you know, soldier, airman, sailor, marine, guards, you know, uh, coast guardsman, uh, I think one of the things that we have to do for survival is, as you said earlier, the word hope. Right. There's there's an element of hope always has a seat at the table.
1: Yes, and I think of it as, I take it even a step further, I'm constantly focused on curating moments of joy.
0: Mm-hmm, okay, so it's like hope in action.
1: Yes, hope in action. I love yeah. the way that you say that because um, I'm a military family member and I work, for, I work for the Department of Defense for quite some time, But for me, um, curating moments of joy was all about in the absence of you move overseas and then your spouse is gone for 200 plus days out of a year. And you're raising two very small children. My daughter turned one in in the TLF. She was very much a military child. Her first birthday was in a temporary lodging facility.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. We moved into a house and I moved into this beautiful three-story farmhouse in the German countryside, and the movers come. They don't speak English. I don't speak German. Here I am with a baby on my hip. I have a two-year-old that's monkeying up and down the other side as I'm trying to keep him out of the way of the movers in direct traffic, and then a nine-year-old And from that moment forward, more of my year was spent without my spouse than with my spouse. And so how do you create stability? How do you find joy on a daily basis when part of your household, like my children grew up without their dad there for so much of their life? Mm-hmm. And so how do you not allow that to impact them? Yeah. You curate moments of joy. It's hope and action. Mm-hmm. So. Every day, finding what is the joy in this day, in the absence so many things can go wrong because we always used to call it Murphy's Law for the military spouse. (laughs) Um, But curating those moments of joy, one, it preserves your mental health and well-being, which was so incredibly important when you're raising children alone And there are so many people who do that. My mother used to call me a single mother with resources because I was married. My spouse just wasn't there on a daily basis. And the military did a great job of providing the infrastructure to keep us going. But they can't fix your mental health and your mental well-being. So that's where the curating moments of joy started for me. And and I'm curious, like, I, I, I
0: can so relate to that because there were moments when we lived in countries that were behind the Iron Curtain, right? So we moved to Poland, and then we moved to Moscow tw- two years after that. And I think to myself, very similar, I can think back to the moments where my mom would create those little moments of laughter. Or one of the things that I remember so much was the, the ability to preserve little bouts of childhood. Because you had to grow up really quickly. I'm sure your kids had yes. to grow up really quickly. When you're in a foreign environment, when you're learning a new language, when you're balancing a new culture, or new rituals and norms, you have to grow up really quickly. So the moments for us that were very sacred were when my mom would, would get somebody to buy a Disney film on VHS and... It took a long time for those things to get over to us, right? Because you couldn't you couldn't actually send them in the mail back then. APO. Yeah, so you would do <laughs> APO, and people would have these packages. I remember at one point, because we were business, not necessarily diplomat or military, we would have to get them sent to Menlo Park, California. Somebody in a Pricewaterhouse office in Mel- Menlo Park, California, who happened to be going on business to London, would put it in his pouch, in his bag, <laughs> take it to London. It would go to London Bridge office, where they would drop it in another sort of pouch. And it would sit there for the next kind of run to Moscow. Yeah, And they would say, hey, who's going to Moscow? Hey, make sure you take this pouch for the partner and his kids. And we would watch Beauty and the Beast or Aladdin or whatever. We'd watch it a hundred times in one sitting because it was those moments of joy that got us through the dark times.
1: But don't you find, and this is where the resilience for me comes in, Mm. is the ability to identify and create those curated moments of joy. That is almost, I think for me, one of the biggest components of success throughout my life, but in particular through COVID, was how do I curate these moments? My children are struggling. How do I create these moments where they reconnect to the experience of being a child when they're in crisis? How do we connect? So we went back to so many of the things that we did during that time that I was overseas, mm-hmm. which was finger food Fridays yeah. and cooking new meals and watching movies together as a family. So reconnecting and regrounding ourselves yeah. in those moments. So um, I think that was such a huge part of our own success um, and preserving our mental health and well being. That and me getting certified as the life coach
0: which I would love to dive into because there's so many elements of, I think there's so many elements about what you draw on, right? That you say, be it resilience, be it joy, be it hope in action. When you bring those into the other part of our life, which is the workplace, which, I mean, we met in sort of a forum around workplace well-being and how to support people on their journeys and lift people up, right? That was really the whole bringing together up our paths, which I love. And that's where we've always sort of celebrated the beginnings of of kind of our friendship and and work relationship. What, What made you want to say, I'm going to pursue something like a life coach curriculum and experience to then not only bring in this environment, right, in the corporate environment, but You probably use it a lot with friends and family too, right?
1: It is single-handedly the most impactful thing I've ever done for myself. And it started with me running the mentoring program at Amazon. So I ran the global mentoring program at Amazon. And part of the work that I was doing was creating this roadmap for how do we create more learning opportunities for this population of 100,000-plus users on this platform, how do we deliver more value to them? And as I was doing my research, there was one woman in particular who was posting videos and content on the mentoring site. We had this open exchange forum, and I thought, I need to talk to her. So I reached out to her, and I asked her, I said, you know, tell me more about who you are, and how did you choose this platform as an Amazon employee to share knowledge and information and um, she said well i got certified at the life coach school and my sister got certified my brother everyone in my family got certified and so i'm listening to her tell me about the impact of this coaching certification on her life and her family's life and um, she says here's the link to watch the video on what this is. So I pull up the video and I watch it for like 30 seconds and I'm like, sold, here's my money. Let me give you $18,000 right now so that I can get certified after watching 30 seconds of content. But it was so powerful and so impactful because I, Am certified, I have International Coaching Federation certifications. I have multiple, I've spent my entire young adult life on learning leadership and development through John Maxwell leadership facilitation, through the military, and it, it is one of my strongest callings is learning leadership and development. How do I accelerate the growth and unlock the potential of others around me? Yeah. So I see this video for the Life Coach School and the difference for me was um, the model. And the model is simply focused on circumstances that take place in our lives. It's a fact. It's something that can be proven in a court of law. And then there are the thoughts that we have about any given circumstance that create drama And those thoughts generate feelings, and our feelings direct action, which create the results and the outcomes. So essentially it was, we live our lives, so much of our lives are lived on autopilot and by the reactions that we have to the circumstances around us. Well, the problem with that is it puts us squarely in a place of being a victim. Mm -hmm. And when you are aware of that and you're now able to harness the power of intentional thoughts that create different sets of thoughts, feelings, actions, and results, you're able to change the outcome. So it's like, The secret decoder ring (laughs) to how do I unlock the full potential of my life by taking agency over your life. You can't control the circumstances that are part of your life. So the fact that I took this certification course during COVID was divine intervention at its finest because I had signed up for it and then realized I'm getting married. I can't do this right now. So I didn't start in September. That's when I got married. And then fast forward to March 13th, the world is starting to shut down and I start this course. Wow. Wow. And suddenly it was like, all of the the world was unlocked for me because I was no longer a prisoner in my own home, a prisoner of circumstance, and it's not, it's not something that just happens overnight, but it starts with the awareness that you actually do have more control over your life, more agency over your life than you ever imagined you did,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so often that shows up when we're in moments of crisis. So how did I get here? You asked me about my story in the press release. So this is where my coaching certification and the power of creating agency over your life, I lived that in action. And there's something about taking risks. We tend to be risk averse as humans. So we tend to err on the side of caution and very calculated small risks. Well, what brought me here was nothing short of the largest, biggest risk I ever took in my life. My marriage was coming to an end. I'd been married for almost 20 years and it was coming to an end. I never imagined not raising my children. I had this whole vision for my life that I was going to be part of a military community by virtue of my marriage and be a civil servant for the rest of my life. And I came out for this wedding and I met someone. The, so he was a principal here at Microsoft and part of the architect for the Azure as we know it today. I had no idea who this man was when I sat next to him. I just traded seats at the wedding and he actually, my daughter sat next to him. And so my daughter spoke to him, and he learned about a little bit about who I was and our background from him. And he knew the bride. He was the mentor of the groom. And so by virtue of that connection to the groom, he had met the bride. And so she and I did similar work. So as we're having conversation at the table and rotating and meeting the different people at the table, he and I have the opportunity to sit next to each other and talk, and he says, I'd like to offer you a job. And in that moment, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Like, I just met you. I, no, like, I don't, I don't have any words for this because I'm here from Germany and I'm leaving to go back to Germany in a day. So This conversation just blows me out of the water. What are the chances that I'm, that the the events that have to take place for me to even have this conversation? I had to move from Italy to Mountain Home, Idaho. I had to have the neighbor, two houses down, move from Italy as well. Then we had to become friends. I had to move to Germany, she had to move to Texas. We both had to get divorced for all of these things to come together. So the fact that I'm at her wedding and I meet this man and he offers me this opportunity completely and totally changed the entire way I thought about my life. I didn't know at the time because I said, I thank you very much for the opportunity. I was so excited just to think about my life differently. I'd never thought about it that way before. And a year later, I find myself at the end of a marriage coming out of a major health crisis where I'm had to come to terms with my own mortality and i had a friend tell me i can't tell you how to manage your marriage i can't tell you how to do any of these things but i will tell you that when your daughter says it's time to go it's time to go so at this wedding she'd met some other children she was good friends with the bride's children because we lived in Idaho together. And she's reaching out to them and looking at schooling opportunities here in Bellevue. That was my sign, it's time to go. But how do you do that when your entire life is built around, I mean, you're overseas, literally. So how do you leave and extricate yourself from a foreign country when your entire life is there i had to make a decision so i made the decision to take my daughter four suitcases and i had fifteen hundred dollars that i had managed to save i was a furloughed civilian so i wasn't working full time and i had very little income that i was even able to pull from so i managed to save fifteen hundred dollars And I got on a C-17 airplane on the AMC terminal. I paid probably $20 at the most. I want to say it was probably half of that. And I got two box lunches for my daughter and I. And if you're familiar with the military, you know all about the box lunches that come on an AMC flight. So my daughter and I boarded a C-17 at Ramstein Air Base, Germany, and flew over arrived at Joint Base Lewis-McChord, and I called my friend who had been out of the country, and I said, I just hit the eject button, and I'm coming in hot. Can we stay with you until I figure out what I'm going to do next? Because I had literally left my life behind. I left two of my children behind. and." I had taken a job interview, and the interesting part about that was it was a Microsoft millionaire just down the street from here, had started a company, still here on the Microsoft campus, and I had done multiple phone screens and gotten to the final round of the interview. So I had a plan. I was going to come here, put my daughter in school, and I was going to get that job. Turns out things don't always work out the way that you think they're going to. Because I didn't get the job, it was actually one of the best things that ever happened to me. But then I had to reassess, what's my plan? How do I get my two children back? How do I find a job? How do I find a home? How do I find a car? Because we were staying with my friend, we were homeless and thankfully my friend and her husband were willing to take us in. So I went back to the U. I went back to Germany and got my other two children borrowed money from my parents because I didn't have the money to pay for airplane tickets. This time we flew commercial. <laughs> <laughs> and I brought my two youngest children back who were in the first and second grade. So now I have a 15-year-old who is a sophomore in high school and a first and second grader. I have no job. And I have to start from scratch. So this is where the power of intentional creating intentional pivots comes into play because I talked about my life coaching certification and how powerful it is. I talked about being risk averse as humans and not wanting to take risk. Well, Leaving everything behind and not knowing how the story is going to end is probably one of the biggest risks that you're ever going to take. And I did that. And it required me to move out of a space. I mean, obviously you're really uncomfortable, but it required me to... um, Failure was not an option that I was willing to accept. Failure is always an option. Failure was just not the option I was willing to accept after making that decision which meant i had to take control of my life and i had to be incredibly intentional and i didn't have time for i didn't have time for allowing myself the indulgence of being overwhelmed of not knowing what to do of it doesn't mean those things didn't happen mm-hmm. and that was the beauty of going through that experience and then fast-forwarding to my life coaching In essence, I went through so much of that in my journey just to start over. Because there were days where I just didn't know how I was going to make it. And so that's where taking agency and being intentional and creating intentional pivots, living a life of intention. If failure is not an option that you're willing to accept, then you have to start thinking about, how do I avoid failure? And that doesn't mean, I mean, I didn't get the job. That could be a failure. It was, but it moved me on to the next opportunity. So then I had to get really clear about how am I going to be intentional in a way that gets me the outcome that I want, which is, I need a job, I need a home, I need a car, I need a place for my children to go to school. And obviously that's not the order that these things worked in.
2: (laughs) Never. (laughs)
1: never so no it was not and that started with setting metrics I always ask people how how intentional are you about networking are you a hobbyist or are you um like are you a professional at this and so for me I had to move from a fundamental of understanding of what does networking mean to how do I leverage that in a very intentional way So that meant I'm going to go to three events a week in person and meet people. I'm going to have uncomfortable conversations and put myself out there. And it started with, in fact, this girlfriend that I stayed with, she and I were just reflecting on that time because I was very tearful in the car on our probably second or third outing because there was a lot of shame. How do I explain that I'm getting a divorce? How do I explain that I only have one of my three children? How do I explain like all of this judgment about myself? And I quickly had to let go of that because the judgment that we place on ourselves is not productive at times. It's actually prohibitive. Mm-hmm. So Having the conversations with people that allowed me to create the talk track of clarity of what am I doing here? What am I going after? Um, and cultivating the relationships. As humans, we want to help other people. So when we're in need, we simply need to ask, but we need to know what it is that we're looking for when we're making those asks. And so sometimes that's where failure comes in. You fail the first time you learn, you go back out, you adjust it, and then you go back out and, and seek what you're looking for. So that was the exercise for me was, okay, I have to go out in public three times a week and meet humans Until in a place sorry. where I only know one person. and live in this very uncomfortable space about telling my story.
2: Yeah.
1: Until it got to a point where I no longer had judgment. I no longer had a feeling of shame. I felt empowered because I was taking agency over the circumstances that had put me there. I was no longer a victim. I was claiming ownership of this is me. This is my story. This is my life. And so it was that intentionality of, okay, I'm gonna set a metric about how many times do I need to go out. Every day I need to have three uncomfortable conversations. And the reason they were uncomfortable was, nobody likes to talk to strangers. But I had put myself in the position where everyone was a stranger. And the only way that they were no longer going to be a stranger was for me to move out of that space of discomfort and have conversations with people. And I had goals. In those conversations, I'm going to remember the name and two things about the person. So the next time I see them, I can have that conversation and remember and pull that shared experience from the past. So that was what I did was I had all these metrics. Three times a week, I go out in public and I meet people. Three times a day, I have conversations with strangers. I'm going to remember their name and two things about them. Now, that's a lot of things to remember at a time where everything is uncertain and, and you're trying to figure out what's up from down. Sometimes I failed, but sometimes I didn't. And from that time to today, which is nine years later, the first five people I met are still my core humans. Those are the people that I still spend time with, and those are the people that have gone through the reinvention of Delhi Mm -hmm. and been there to witness that. But it had everything to do with the approach. How intentional am I being? I met them at networking events in person where I had to have a conversation about who I was. And along the way, I met people that I connected with because I was willing to go out on a limb, take a risk, and take agency over my life. And those conversations evolved over time because it wasn't enough to just create connection and meet people. It was, there's a real world responsibility here of you have children to raise, you need to make money and you need to find a place for them to live. So that's where my conversations evolved to was a very intentional talking points. How do I have a conversation where I'm true to my own superpower, which is connecting people to create magic. Mm -hmm. That is what I do. Mm -hmm. And the way I do that is by listening to the needs of the people that I have conversations with. And then as I'm having conversations with other people, I say, oh, you need to meet so-and-so. And that's what I do, is connect people to create magic. But I also needed to be able to weave those conversations of what are my own needs into, the, into the, the talk track. So again, being very intentional, I need, I'm looking for a job, I'm looking for a house in the Bellevue School District for my three children. Do you know anybody? And so it was the power of your network, you start meeting with people, you start speaking your needs and saying it out loud in a very intentional way, and your needs start to get met. So one of the things for me was, I told you I worked at Nintendo. That was my first job, where I got paid $19 an hour as a contractor. And so I found that job, but the day before I got the job offer, I actually signed the lease on my house. Now, most people would never allow you to sign the lease on a house without a job, but this is where, again, Your network and your connections come into place because someone sent me, from all of the networking that I had done, someone sent me this house and said, it's an open house. You should go look at it. And I went. I took my girlfriend and I took my daughter. All of us have the shared military background and connection. We walk into this house. It's a brother and sister who inherited the home from their parents, retired colonel. They were military children, so when they met my daughter, they identified with what it was like to be her, and so it was that shared connection because it was an open house. There were at least 10 other people that came in a highly sought after school district, and they were willing to take a chance and allow me to move into that home with my three children. And all because I had spoken and put it out there that these were the three things I needed. A job, a place to live in this school district, and that I needed to find a car. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I signed the lease on my house with no job. The next day, I was offered the job. And so this time of year always is very special to me because nine years ago in October, it's actually October 28th is the first day of my new job at Nintendo. I took that, you know, first day of school photo. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. That
1: was me with my borrowed shoulder handbag because I had four suitcases, mm-hmm. um, borrowed a handbag from my friend and went to work for my first day. And then it was that level of intentionality. Every part of my life was intentional. I was telling you I have a photo of my budget. Mm -hmm. And that's another way where you create agency over your life is I knew I had $19 an hour. I knew these are my primary expenses, and so this is where my money is going to go, and here's what's left over, and every dollar had a job. So my kids got to go to movies. They would collectively decide they had $50 a month to spend on funtivities and they would collectively decide how we were going to spend the $50 a month. That was one of the ways that they found joy was planning outings. Like what can we do for free? What can we spend our $50 on? And we had $40 a month for gas. So we can't drive more than the $40 will take us a month. But like everything in every part of my money had a job. And so I wasn't worried about how am I going to do this because I had already figured it out. I had mapped it out. And that's the level of intentionality that allows you to live with freedom and joy when there's so much uncertainty around you is that level of intentionality. So Fast forward to, you know, arriving here on a C-17 with $1,500 four suitcases and one of my three children. I now am remarried and creating the life of my dreams with my new husband, my new partner, and I have a multiple six-figure income. I managed to accomplish that in less than six years because of the level of intentionality that was required. Instead of allowing life to happen to me, I made the decision to take agency over my life and be the architect of my career and the life that I wanted. That required me to slow down at times to create clarity about what is it that I want for moving forward. And each time I set a goal for myself, um, this is where the resilience comes in, is each time I set a goal for myself, I would get there and I would need to sit in that space and pause and reflect on where did I come from where am I at right now? And allow the vision for the future to present itself. Because when you're constantly running forward, you lose sight of where you're trying to get. Mm-hmm. So I actually had a client text me one day and say, I just did everything I ever said I wanted to do. I have the house, the, right. the bank account, all the things, and now I don't know what to do. Yeah. And my advice to them was, I'm going to encourage you to slow down. One, be intentional and be in the moment of joy. So often we're so busy chasing accomplishments that we never stop to pause and and curate that moment and live in that moment of joy of what have I created? And the problem with pushing forward is you haven't taken the time to recalibrate your compass. Your compass is the old version of yourself that brought you to where you are but in order to move forward you have to allow yourself to see what's possible and that requires you to slow down so there's always this space when you think about the resiliency dance is achieving what you set out to do regardless of what it is whether it's in relationships in um, work in your life whatever it is that you set out to do success looks different for all of us but it's that sitting in the moment taking in the joy of the arrival and then being open to the possibilities of what surrounds you in your new destination Mm -hmm. before you forge ahead to that next place so i'm a huge fan of um Again, that's why I was so drawn to you when we met, was the conversation around resilience. Mm-hmm. Because it does require us to slow down before we can move forward again.
0: Yeah. First of all, I want to thank you for sharing that story. Because first of all, you're an incredible storyteller, because I can picture every stage, right? <laughs> As someone who's been on that, oh, yeah. those planes, right? Yeah. Yes, the box
1: lunches, people are like, what is it about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that are so, but again, for me, that's like a moment of joy. When I see, when I think about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it creates joy because it takes me to this moment of the moment of release. The moment where you have now escaped what's been holding you back. I will not be eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches just so that I can feel that moment. But like, that's the thing. I talk about data versus drama with my clients. Data is a fact. So whether it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or rain, Mm -hmm. it's the thoughts that we have about these data points that create drama for us, good or bad. And so I do, I honor the moments of joy that I pause long enough to actually internalize, mm-hmm. but then you have to keep moving forward. You can continue to draw from that, but you don't want to stay in that place of stagnation.
0: I think the power, I was talking the other day to someone about the power of nostalgia, and it's always, again, it's a dance, to use a great analogy of what you were saying, because you know, nostalgia to me, there are times it's, it is such a well on which you can tap, right? There are those moments that we need to remember those little bouts of childhood or remember when you were in that plane and you were going from Rammstein to you know, joint base Lewis-McChord. You can tap that well, but the question I always ask myself is, am I tapping that well to then refuel me to keep going forward? Or am I tapping that well to sort of plunge my head into the sorrows for a mm-hmm. while?
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. So you are bringing something up that is, this is the, this is what I've unlocked. When I think about nostalgia and the power of nostalgia, it can hold you in a place that is no longer healthy or serves you well. And so for me, I have changed, where do I bring nostalgia into my life? And I found that when I am intentional, because this is all about living a life of intentionality. So it's the understanding, where does it serve you well and where does it hinder you? And for me, when I think about nostalgia, I have to hold off on nostalgia. You know how Facebook memories pop up? So for years, I would look at my Facebook memories every morning and soak in all of the goodness, the sadness, all of the things that those Facebook memories give you and I love Facebook memories. The problem is that maybe the first thing in the morning is not the place to go walking down memory lane yeah. because you take it with you all day long. You're constantly thinking about whatever it is. Now there are days when that Facebook memory might provide you with inspiration. So on October 28th of every year when I see that First day of school, me getting my job, the first job of many that would bring me to where I am right now, I'm like, yes, look at how far I've come. How amazing is this? Like all of those things. But more often than not, I don't actually remember what's going to come up on Facebook memories. So that's probably not the point in time where I want to introduce nostalgia at the beginning of the day. Right. Because Your mind, the human mind, is programmed, it is a very powerful machine, it's programmed to focus on what we give it to focus on. So if the first thing in the morning is I provide you with nostalgia to ruminate over all day long, I'm probably not gonna be overly productive if that memory is not the most productive one that I'm fueling myself with. Mm -hmm. So when I think about being intentional now and how do I harness the power of nostalgia, I stay away from Facebook memories. I've actually removed the Facebook and Instagram icons from the front of my phone, and I actually have to scroll all the way to the back of the menu, Mm -hmm. and yes, I could search for it and do it very quickly. I could pull down, and it's probably in in the most used apps, but I don't access it that way because then my brain has to slow down and think about, is this what I should be doing with my time right now? is this the right thing to do? So in the mornings, I have a tendency to um, set intentions. And what are the intentions that I want for the day? I think about what are my goals and what am I doing? What am I going to do? How am I gonna take care of myself today? What am I proud of? What do I wanna work on? Those are the things that I do in the morning. And then at the end of the day, as I'm reflecting on all of the things that I did during the day, I then take the opportunity, because sometimes days are really crappy, Mm -hmm. and then I go and look at my Facebook memories. And what a beautiful way to end the day in a space of nostalgia, where you have appreciation and gratitude for how far you've come. Appreciation and gratitude, for us, coming from a military background, we're Quite a few of my photos are throwbacks to different adventures I've had along the way, compliments of my, my Air Force adventure. Right. Um, some of those people are gone for my lives now for a host of different reasons. They gave their life in service. They didn't wake up on a day of an inspection. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to look back and see those things at the end of the day and reflect on the beauty of the life that I have created and the memories that I've created. And you said something about nostalgia. When I first moved here, I felt very alone. So nostalgia didn't serve me well because I was stuck in this place of, I just want to go back. I want to be with these people that are showing up in my Facebook memories. I was very sad because I didn't have my connections so there's a time and place for nostalgia and placing it in the appropriate time of day it's that's where the intentionality comes in is where does it as you said where does it fuel you Mm -hmm. and where does it hold you back
0: and i think the other piece that when you were describing your journey um the thing that sort of stands out to me is the point you made around checking your azimuth like so so to go back to an Air Force analogy, and I'm an Army guy, so but I've worked with many in Air Force. I was Force.
1: stationed on an Army post. My son was born on an Army post in Italy. So you know the world.
0: Yes. Um, I had the privilege and honor to get to serve uh, with and support a lot of Air Force folks. So again, it's always fun to see the cultures be so distinct but also very in common. And the one thing I remember that I, I think I picked up from my Air Force friends, and I've used it a lot, is, you know, check your azimuth. Now, you can do it in the Army too. The Army, we're doing land navigation, mm-hmm. right? Where check your azimuth, which way you're pointed. But the, the reason I use that a lot and why it's resonating in your story is because when you're moving fast through life or moving fast in a commercial jet or whatever, if you're slightly off on that azimuth, just a few degrees, mm. the speed with which you're going, you could end up in a completely different hemisphere.
1: Yes that is why my clients come to me. And that is that is the perfect analogy. Um, I have so many clients that come to me because they've been moving fast and life has happened to them. Um, they find themselves in a place that they no longer want to be. Or recognize. Right, and they don't know how they got there. Yeah. And that's the work that I do with them is how do, how do we redesign the life of your dreams and because my approach is so individual to the needs of my clients it's very much focused on that discovery and the clarity and and pulling in the context of how did you get here and then creating that plan of how do you move from that space Mm -hmm. and and that is i think in the work that we do here in the corporate world we move so quickly and we're so focused on delivering and what's the next deliverable and the next deliverable that we don't slow down. We lose sight of the fact that our relationship with our partner is failing. We lose sight of the things that are happening with our children. and we no longer become present, and then the toll of that is cancer, failed health, mental health, and well-being. Our bodies start to fail us. Our bodies, at the ages that we are, our bodies will start to tell us no. And we push forward anyway, and then you and I were talking about crying Mm -hmm. (laughs) before we started this. We also fail to create space for our own emotions mm-hmm. and so we're constantly stuffing them down and at what cost yeah. and it's that losing side of our asthma. i love that you brought that analogy into the conversation because that is so frequently when we're starting to see um, failure in our health and well-being when the relationships start to go sideways those are all signs and sometimes we're moving so quickly that in the moment all it takes is a minor adjustment to bring it back on track but when we miss that moment and we continue to ignore it that's when things start to go sideways and then we look up and we realize how did i get here
0: when well, i think the other part which is really challenging right now we were talking a little bit about this before it's just it's so heavy right now Mm -hmm. in the times that we're in. And I know you and I both have the honor and privilege to get to work in an amazing place around topics of inclusion, belonging, um, diversity, as you said, and you and I both kind of share that personal vision of illuminating the truest potential in others, right? right? Like helping them uncover something in themselves that they didn't even know they had it's really tough right now in the world. (laughs) Um, I was talking to someone earlier today, and and they were saying that it's almost hard to breathe through the day these days, because we're thinking about things like elections, we're thinking about things like war, we're thinking about things like economic struggle. So I'm curious, like, in in the worlds in which we dance in and out of, right, Mm -hmm. work and life and friends and relationships, how are you, making sure that you have the fullest breath for one. Mm-hmm. And then other. how are you helping other people, right? Yeah. Find their fullest breath, because it's hard. I mean, as, a, as we were joking, I'm, I'm intentionally scheduling uh, an experience where I know there's gonna be joy and sorrow because of music and arts and things of that, right? I, I, I've bought myself a ticket to allow myself to have a good release cry. <laughs>
1: Well, yes, that cathartic moment that allows you to get the emotion out. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is where the power of that life coaching certification that was so perfectly timed comes in because we don't have control over any of the events that are happening in the world. Mm -hmm. We have absolutely no control over it. What we do have control over is the thoughts that we have about any given situation and those thoughts that we have create an emotional response. Sad, happy, angry. And angry seems to be a fa- factory default setting. And angry, I, mad is sad's bodyguard.
0: I love that. Say that one more time because I got a picture of that.
1: <laughs> mad is sad's bodyguard.
0: I'm reminded of that Disney film.
1: The, film. Oh my gosh, I loved it love, love, love that movie. It was such an incredible movie and anger. Yes. Mad is sad's bodyguard. And one, I don't want to dismiss the fact that we have so many people in mental health crisis right now that is real. So the first thing I would say is we are not alone. As humans and I think that's the beauty of where we are in the world today is we're starting to acknowledge that and we're having the conversations that when we're struggling in that space of having mental health crisis and the the unwell and 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 lack of well-being that comes from being in sustained crisis for years our bodies weren't designed for that you're not alone And part of not being alone means being willing to reach out to and get help. Whether it's reaching out to your community, a mental health provider, that was the reason I became a life coach, was when you've gone through trauma and come out on the other side, it's hard to watch people experience trauma. So. For me that was the reason behind getting the certification was here I am on the other side. I've put in the work and the energy and the effort and even after putting in the work and the energy and the effort it still required me to be very intentional about what am I feeding my brain? When am I feeding it? So for me it's, um, it's that level of intentionality. How do you survive and how do you not only survive, thrive through what we have going on in the world right now so I am intentional about when do I feed myself world events I don't do that first thing in the morning Mm -hmm. in fact the first thing in the morning is sacred space to and not every day I I mean we work at Microsoft we're in a global corporation so not every day is one where I get to start my day with intention But I'm building in these things where I am focused on setting my compass to true north. And I think about it like the Tony Robbins fire walk. When you're focused on what's in front of you and you know where you're going, everything around you fades away and you no longer feel the fire between your feet or beneath your feet. That is ultimate intentionality. That is setting your compass. Now, we can't always get up and do that when we're in crisis. So the first thing is finding help. I would not be where I was today had I not found the people that would be able to help me and walk alongside me. I had to do the work, but I had to find and put the people in place to walk along the path with me. So on the day when I was curled up on the floor in a ball, sobbing, because I just knew I was never gonna find a job and I was gonna get kicked out of my friend's house because we've got four people living in their house and the world is gonna come to an end. I'm curled up in a ball and cannot function. I remember my girlfriend's husband came home from work and sat down with me. And we talked about what was going on. We talked about why do I feel this way? Why am I sobbing? Why am I curled up in a ball ready to give up? And then we came up with a plan. And that's the part about the intentionality. So often we're so deep into it when it's hard to breathe you can't come up with a plan. You can't, you can't do anything. No, you, you can't. can't. You need help. Yeah. And chances are you need help in more than one place. Mm-hmm. But it starts with getting help in the one place. So if you're suffering with mental illness, then you probably need a medical profes- professional. You may need medical intervention to help you get to that place where you're now able to think and to ideate. But the first step is getting help and and understanding that you're not alone. And once you've gotten to that place where you can breathe again, this is where I talk about um, building your personal board of directors. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you build over time. So first, it's learning to breathe again. And I can feel that so deeply because for me it was, how do I get unbroken? How do I get unbroken to the point where I can love my children to the full capacity of my heart? How do I get unbroken enough to be able to receive love again? Healthy love. How do I get unbroken enough to trust myself? And so those are the things that you have to put the work in over time. And now that's the work that I do with other people is, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You've got to focus on the foundation. And sometimes that's all you can do. So if you don't have your foundation set, there's no room for oxygen to grow anything else. So that's where your personal board of directors starts is what are the what is the foundational need that you have and once you've gotten those needs met that's when you start to add in other elements so for me and everyone's timeline is different i spent 18 months just focused on my own mental health and well-being
2: mm-hmm.
1: before i could pull anyone or any else anything else into my orbit And then it was recognizing where are the trigger points. And that's what I do as a, as a life coach and a career coach is um, careers don't come without life. Yeah,
2: <laughs> so, so well said. Yeah. Humans
1: bring themselves, their lives into work. And that was the thing for me that I found as an executive coach is so often I'd be working with these directors and executive and and VPs And the work that we were doing was very work focused, but as we would dig into it, it was never about work. It was about the CFO and what are the thoughts and feelings that they have in their interactions with their coworkers during COVID and feeling threatened in how do I take care of my family? How do I protect them? How do I provide for them? It had nothing to do with work, right. everything to do with the thought about the interaction with this individual. Mm-hmm. But it takes having a partner, and that's where you're where a career life coach, mental health professional, um, that's where those people come in. Yeah. Is, And that's the work that I do with my clients is being able to pull where is life bleeding into work and being able to identify that, and then once you have the clarity to see what is impacting this, then you're able to come up with a plan. Then you're able to start pulling resources in, and so that's where, for me, as the co-creator of the life of your dreams, I am the fast pass to the front of your line. It's so hard when you're Swimming inside the bottle. You can't read the label when you're inside the bottle.
2: Yeah.
1: So it's your life. This is the life that you have, and it's hard to see what's available outside of there because you're inside, living in. And sometimes that just means getting out of bed every day.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So that's the first step is how do I get out of bed every day? Who's the person? And, and that's the other thing. I believe in the power of who, not how. We focus too much. We focus on how, and so that's the thing is, as humans, we feel alone. How am I going to get out of bed every day? How am I going to breathe? Which translates to, I have to do it all myself. Exactly, but we're not alone. And so when you change the question from how do I get out of bed to who can help me, and you start identifying the who's that will help you with the how, how do I breathe? How do I get out of bed every day? How do I not let the socio-economic, geopolitical events of the world? Who, instead of how? Mm-hmm. And that's where bringing in help comes into place, whether it's when I, first, when I made $19 an hour, I couldn't afford anyone right. or anything. Right. So for me, it was who has the skill set in my community to bring into. So that meant I had, I I mean, I I looked for who's for everything. Mm -hmm. Who can help me find a house? Everyone. Everyone can help me find a house. Who can help me find a job? Everyone. Who can help me find childcare for my children while I'm trying to figure out all of these things? If I'm willing to trade, I can find people who will do that. It's the who's, it's focusing on who. When you have a need, who can help me figure this out? And that's when, that's when the magic happens. That's when your world opens up, where when you focus on the power of who not how, your freedom of time, money, relationships, influence, all of those things change, because now it's not just you.
0: And I think it also goes from a scarcity mindset to an mm. abundance yes. mindset, yes. right? Because there's a piece of it, when when we focus on the how, regardless of where you start, it starts and ends with 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 you, right? You're basically like, I have to figure this out myself. Right. And when you start with the how, you don't even get past that answer, allowing yourself to ask another human. You feel like you have to have it all figured out before yes. you ask for help.
1: Here's the problem with how. I call it how greed. How greed is grounded in a place of scarcity because the gift of how only comes after you've accomplished what you set out to do. So if you're focused on how, you've never done it before, which means scarcity. Mm -hmm. You don't have anything to draw from. Mm -hmm. But the moment you flip the script and go from how do I get this done to who do I know that may have done this before? Who do I know in my network that might know someone? That's when you move faster. That's when your relationships expand. That's when your influence expands. That's when your finances expand. I didn't go from being homeless and $1,500 in four suitcases on a scarcity mindset. But you can't unlock the abundance that's available to you without being willing to lean into the who's in your life
2: yeah.
1: and asking for help. And and I tie that back to my military background mm-hmm. because as humans, we don't want to accept help. We're like, I got this. Yeah, pride. But when you become overwhelmed with, with, and things start falling apart because you're the only person who can do all these things, you quickly change your perspective. For me, as a military spouse with my husband gone and raising children, I was like, I'm the strongest woman in the world. I can do all of these things on my own. I don't need help. Until things start to fall apart. And then you realize, I do need help. And because you have to practice accepting help on a regular basis, everything is about building a muscle and a skill. So for me it was accepting help and being willing to ask for help. Had I not developed that muscle in my 20s when I was, I was 25 and I had three children, I was 23 when I gave birth to my daughter, so that was three children at the age of 23. Moving. And I spent my entire life surrounded by my family up until that point. I didn't need to ask anybody for help because my family was there, I had them, and so why would I ask a stranger for help? But when you move, when you get removed from your ecosystem, you quickly start to figure things out. Like I'm 23, I have an infant, a five year old, and a seven year old. And if you're doing the math, yes, I'm too young to have done that, but the partner I chose brought two children into our marriage that were one and three when, when we got married. So here I am. I now have to figure out very quickly how to accept help and taking that forward. As a, as a career and life coach, Like that's one of the things is you have to be willing to ask for help. I can't do the work for you. I can be the architect, and the ideator, and the co-creator. I can pull in the resources or identify the resources that will help you with the how. But the first thing that you have to do is recognize, I can't do this alone. So if you can't afford the services of a life coach like I was when I made $19 an hour and first got here. That's where identifying where the skill sets in in your community and your network. I literally had someone who was willing to go shopping and find things for my house once I found a house. I had a whole group of people who came in and helped with painting a room in my house. I bartered to get a cleaning lady to come in and clean my kitchen and my children's bathrooms just so that I didn't spend all of my time when I was with my kids, cleaning and doing lawn work. So that's where, when we're stuck in the moment, it's really hard to pull your head up. Because I would never, like, again, you're so focused on how do I get these things done? How do I get it done? How do I get it all done? All it takes is one person to unlock and, and interrupt, disrupt that loop. That loop kind of, yeah. To get you to look up and to see there are options outside of what I've been focused on. Something else is available to me to help me with this. And that's where the who's.
0: And I think that's really it's really important that you say that because one of the things that you're talking about is ingenuity. And you can't access that ingenuity if you're stuck in the loop. You can't access, I mean, we, there are st- studies that are coming out to remind us of this, right? The ability to... Brainstorm or ideate or curate like all of that is inaccessible when you're in crisis and These aren't statements of judgment. These are statements of fact, right? Right. Like the brain does not function in a way that you can um, Have an idea or be creative to approach a problem because an entirely importance, you know, part of the brain is inaccessible.
1: And that's where, so when I say, I talk about the model, I would never tell someone who was going through a mental health crisis, Mm -hmm. just change your thoughts, because that's not actually possible. You can't do that. You have to have gotten to a space. And so that's where I I say, um, there's work that you do with your mental health professional. And when you've gotten to a place where you're ready to move to the next step, Mm -hmm. that's when you're, your life coach comes in. Your architect, yeah. Yes, because as a life coach, I take you as a whole individual, a complete and whole person who is 100% lovable exactly as you are. No change needed. This is who you are. And now let's start from here and let's start creating and designing.
0: Which I'd love to kind of maybe um, finish up here on the the co-creation and the architect. You're writing a book, yes?
1: Okay, so the book is the first book. This is a project, the Inspiring Professional Women Who Boss Up project. It's the Women Who Boss Up book project. I am an author and part of the story I shared here today is featured in that book and so much more where it's the first step. It's the first step in me using my voice to share what's possible I think I shared with you, I have a goal of impacting and changing the lives of a million women. And this book is one way for me to create a ripple effect, to show what's possible, because I think so often um, we get stuck in a place of not being able to see what's possible. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm able to, through this particular book project, share my story about how I went from $1,500, dollars for suitcases and one of my three children on a C-17 and homeless to the life that I live today, and it's only getting better. If I can inspire other women who are also fully capable, 100% exactly as they are, all they need is the inspiration to see that it's possible, That's where this book comes in, through inspiration. And I'm also the who to help them with the how when you're ready to take the steps, Mm -hmm. when you're ready to enlist the help of a career and life coach. That's where I'm able to be the fast pass to the front of the line, Mm -hmm. where I work with my clients on co-creating the life of their dreams. And that requires you to look at both work and life because they are connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: I mean, as much as we want them not to be there completely, like you said, there are times we think we're dealing with a work issue, and oftentimes it's a life issue. There are times we think it's a life issue, and it's a work issue. Right. And, you know, rarely do the two stay in their lanes, I yes. think. Um, when is the book
1: out? So the book comes out this month, okay. and it's available for pre-order on my on my website. It will also be available for order on my website, com. You can click on the Buy My Book tab. You can place an order. Pre-orders, you get an autographed copy of my book. Awesome. And it will be shipped as soon as it's released. And, yes, so. Is there anything else you wanted
0: to share? I I think this is such a compelling and powerful story, and I can't wait for it to sort of resonate. One of the things I've learned about this whole experience is these stories have a way of finding their way to those that need it here at the most at the time that that they need to, so.
1: Yes, um, because everything happens as it should. Mm -hmm. And it's rare that we actually understand the how or the why are things happening. But if you stop to think everything is happening as it should, I'm moving in the direction that I need to be, that changes everything. And it is the power of the being prepared and the power of intentionality. Mm-hmm. Nothing I've ever done has not, the things that I've done that have created the greatest um, return have also been the biggest risk that I've ever been willing to take. So anything you've ever wanted is on the other side of a feeling that you're not willing to have. Yeah,
0: I love that. It reminds me of this, um, this wonderful thing I heard the other day, which was um, the the height and length of a dream always cast a shadow that is equally the length of it, just in another direction. And so sometimes in order for us to remember the height and length and reach of our dreams, we have to actually look to the shadow and vice versa. And so I'm, I'm so inspired by the fact that you're telling people not to run away from the, the shadow work as well right to understand the the parts of the, every part of who we are you cannot you cannot appreciate the sun without the shadow and you cannot appreciate the shadow without the sun
1: no and that's it life is 50 50 and the beauty of your life is created in the the deepest and darkest depths so The reason that I have so much joy and I see so much joy is the direct impact of the deepest and darkest places that my life has gone through. So if you consider that life is 50-50, when you come out on the other side, you will have that's just the way that it works Mm -hmm. is 50-50. Thank you. I appreciate this.
0: Thank you. Yeah. So much fun talking. So, so, so.